0: What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I'm very excited to be joined by Alex Rados. Hi Alex, welcome.
1: Hey, Cassandra, good to be here.
0: So Alex, you are the director of football at the Anglican Church Grammar School in Brisbane, a a school known as Churchy to the locals. Uh, I was really, um, I think, drawn to your LinkedIn profile, especially when I read the first line in your About section, which says, I believe that you first have to know yourself before you can contribute to society. And I love the vision that you share in in your LinkedIn profile to lead an organisation which creates the optimal environment for people to flourish. And we met Alex after I... I think LinkedIn somehow matched our profiles, probably because we've got so many similar interests. I gifted you a copy of my second book, Being True, and I I said to you, no, if you've got any feedback, I'd love to hear it. And then a few weeks later, I received a six-page Word document with this incredibly rich feedback on my book, which I was so grateful for. And so I just had to speak to you some more. And here we are recording a podcast together, which I'm very excited about. I think it's also worth mentioning, important to mention rather, that you have three beautiful boys, you live in Brisbane with your wife, um, and anything else, Alex, that you think is important to share in terms of your background, who you are, and the work that you do in the world?
1: Yeah, I'll just add a few more things. That's a a great introduction there. Um, So I came to Australia as a refugee when I was 10 years of age. Um, and I'm really grateful for all the opportunities that Australia has provided for me and my family. And my wife came similar. I think she was nine and she was a refugee from Croatia. Um, I've been in education now for 14 years across seven different schools in England and Australia. And since 2016, uh, since 2016 I've been in various leadership positions. So there's been a lot of learning that's happened throughout that, that time. And um, one more thing that, that kind of in the last probably couple of years... That's kind of really helped me is, so I had to, I've had i clarified that vision, which is data, but it's also my purpose, or as Simon Sinek likes to say, my why. Um, so that's to help others so they can reach their full potential. And then I've kind of gone through, that was good, but I needed some values to kind of hold me to that. And, and so my first value is family first. I put that above everything else, including work. Uh, second value is to be genuine. The third value is personal growth help others and to have fun and what I've realized is we all have values but when you clarify them have you 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 haven't really clearly written somewhere where it's visible in those tough times it's a reminder to go back to them and I know myself when I'm truly authentic to those values it's when I am the happiest and when I uh, lead the best.
0: Mm, I love that you know you have such clarity I think Alex on the on your purpose your vision your values you know, the the difference you want to make in the world. It's it's very rare, I think, to meet someone with such clarity. Uh, I think it's really wonderful and really powerful. And one one question I wanted to ask you, Alex, you know, you've got these incredible visions, these wonderful guiding values. Why uh football why the role of director of football at churches like help us understand of all the things you could be doing in the world what it is about this particular role and this particular type of work that really f- fills your cup
1: yeah so football has been something that's that I've been passionate about since I was about four or five years of age um so when I was in school um I did fine in school but I, I didn't study all that much I, I I'd, I mean I got I passed that was my And what I just passed and my parents were happy with that and I would just play football or watch football or talk about football Um, and that's been happening throughout my whole life. Um, Then once I got in in work, I worked a little bit in a school where I was the football head coach and then after that I kind of drifted away from football and work-wise. I was working in, in, in head of department roles but more in the sport or health and well-being side of things in the HP departments. Um, so across that time and I was really enjoying it. But then this incredible opportunity came up to join Churchy and it actually came through a friend of mine who's the first team coach here and their director of football had left after 14 years. Um, and he reached out to me on, on Messenger. I haven't spoken to him for a couple of years. And, and he said he, he uh, they couldn't find someone with the right fit. And he asked me about someone that had thought about it. Um, so I said, yeah, that, that person's a fine candidate. But then I thought about it as like, can you give me the details about this job? Because it's something that I might be interested in. So he sent me through the details and then I started talking to the school um, and we hit it off really well and I've been here ever since. So it wasn't really planned that I wanted to go back in football. I thought it was just something that I had spent a lot of time doing and doing it on the side um, and and was focused on other parts of education, uh, but I managed to to come back in here and be loving it.
0: That's wonderful. I love those stories where these connections and unexpected <laughs> invitations lead us to places that we hadn't planned to be, but where, where we were kind of meant, meant to be. I love that. And so I've never met a director of football before. So can you give us a glimpse, like what is a day in the life of a director of football at Churchy even look like? What, tell us more about um, yeah, how you spend your time in this
1: role. So, I'll just clarify football as in soccer because some people might think rugby league, great sport, but I'm um, passionate about football as soccer. Um, so, half my role is director of football, my other half of the role is HP teacher. So, for What's about HB?
0: Two,
1: uh, health and physical education.
0: Oh, okay. So it's a dual HP, role. HP, okay. HP, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, half of my, about two, three hours in a day is where I'm teaching students to play basketball or cricket or athletics, or we're learning about nutrition or relationships or, or something like that. Um, so, the other half is the football role and the way that it's done in, in GPS. So, GPS is the association that we belong to and we can church grammar school and eight other schools. So, we compete for one term and we train for one term. So, it's about half a year uh, role. So what we would do is okay let's 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 forward plan to next year so in week three is our preseason starts so we have about 700 kids that are going to trial for teams and we've got about 50 staff so it's about laying the groundwork of how do the trials run um the logistics how many balls do we need all of that that stuff but also setting a vision of what we want the program to, to be like um so we went through I joined initially just observed and listened, and got feedback, and the previous director that was there for 14 years did a wonderful job. All the foundations were there, but I realised that we needed to have a vision of the future. And because you got so many boys playing, from players that play for Australia, down to players that just want to kick the ball around. So the vision became all members of the churchy football community to have a positive experience in the program. And that vision came, I did a big survey with all the staff and students um, and the parents, and it was overwhelming that everyone just wanted a positive experience. The mission or the purpose became, again, it was two really strong things. Everyone wanted to be better footballers, but even more importantly, they wanted to be better people. So that's what the parents wanted for them and that's what the kids wanted. So the mission became to develop good footballers and even better people so they can flourish in life. And then we looked at the values. So the school's got 11 values. I thought, well, let's choose the pair of three, which three resonate the most. And these were the overwhelming, the biggest ones, integrity, discipline, determination. And then I ask, well, how does that look like? So integrity, so one of our key sayings in integrity is um, to do the right thing even when no one's watching. In discipline is to turn up on time. In determination is to play against the final whistle. So a lot of the time was spent in the off-season clarifying those things, going back and forth, back and forth, doing drafts. And now that we have that, so all the planning goes behind that. So yes, on the day, it's about getting the cones and the coaches and everything else, but getting to people who align to this because a lot of our coaches are old boys or people that work part-time jobs or people that are lawyers and psychologists that just want to come back and contribute so we've got all these different people that are coming back and we've got now a really clear um overarching kind of statements that why we're here so i filter all the decisions that i make through those three things
0: i love it alex I do a bit of work around values, articulation and values activation in organizations. And I always encourage people to stick with the golden rule of three, three values, because we can remember three. There's so many organizations that have four or six or even eight values. And you really it's really hard to remember those values in moments that matter. So I love that you've got three. I love that you translated those values into the, what it actually means, And I really love this idea that we don't want to just be good players. We want to be better people or good people. You know, my two boys play soccer here in Victoria, and I've seen some pretty poor behavior, mainly from the parents, sometimes Mm. on the sidelines. And I think this beautiful aspiration to be good people and good players. Um, and to reap all the benefits of being involved in a team sport like soccer is really wonderful. Oh, I'm really, I'm really excited to have heard all of that. All of that was news to me. I love it all. So Alex, you know that um, the key question I ask all my guests is this question about are you able to tell us about a time in your life or in your career when you realize that you were not being true to yourself and I know you've thought long and hard about that question so I'd love to hear what what that question brought up for you
1: I haven't it's a great question to ask and I think it's really important for us to to reflect on these things so for me and I really thought about this and I'm not trying to sound cocky but I am a very genuine person and I do things from the heart So I couldn't think of many examples, but there was one example that stood really clear. So for me, it was um, when I became a head of department, it was a low socioeconomic area in Brisbane. And that was my uh, start of my formal leadership journey. Now, when I think about leadership, you know, so leadership is, you know, when you're in a position to influence others. And from a very young age, I was always vice captain or captain, and I was gathering people around to do so. I think those leadership qualities have always been there. So this was the first formal one where I had responsibility of a department and uh, and people. So... I'll give you a bit of context so i inherited a team uh, with a negative cynical culture there was a very strong us and them mentality between the uh, the, the, head, the department and the senior management so the principal was a very tough man with a clear vision and a very high standards uh, he had made great improvements in the school in the past two and three years uh, we got on very well as both of us are conscientious we're driven we want the best uh, for the students I've learned an incredible amount uh, from him, and he's become a good friend and and a mentor today. Um, So, in the first uh, 15 months, it was incredibly challenging for me. I had no leadership training, so (laughs) it's one thing to think about what you're going to do, but it's another thing when it's all of this comes on the day and things you haven't thought about. So you go from being a high performer in a teaching role or whichever other industry, and then you have to lead people. It's completely different. So it was sink or swim. Um, There were two people that went for the job, didn't get the job, and I didn't feel like they were being very supportive of my leadership. There would be three people that I would classify as quite low performers for various reasons, and there was one outstanding young up-and-coming guy. So that was, you know, Department of of six plus myself, seven people Um, to be. Yeah, sorry, (laughs) I just threw off my notes. Um, I was trying to figure it out as I was going, so something would happen. I'm trying to figure it out and there was no time for reflection because it was all in the doing. Um, What I focused on was compliance and to be honest, I was micromanaging. We went from being non-compliant to compliant but that was the extent of it so as long as my leadership stayed like that we were never going to go anywhere higher i was also getting very tired so this was about 15 months in a lot of work a lot of changes were made but i was getting very tired i remember i was talking to my line manager and i was going like is this worth it like, i just can't i'm just having battles all the time i feel like we're going up and down and, and i don't even know why i'm doing this so the great thing for me was that the old head of department came back which meant i went back to the teaching position but the beautiful thing about that is it gave me time to reflect gave me f- to think, to step away from it, to think about what I did well, what I could do differently, and then just focus on the teaching side of things. After about a month, I also realized that I really enjoyed being a leader. So someone told me, one of the heads or the once told me that um, he went for a deputy position, did three months, didn't like and that was the end of it, but he knew he didn't want it. So for me, it was, yes, I want to get back into it, but I want to do things differently. Um, I realized at that time that I was subconsciously trying to emulate my principal. Now we had a lot of the same values, as I said, but we also had some different values. So I think I'm more human driven. Um, I want to talk to people more. I want to connect to them. He's a bit more fact-based and get on with, with the job. So one of the things that I realized is while that time, and we did a lot of great things, that I forgot some of my core values, which was to have fun. So that element was kind of removed because I was so focused on compliance, I was so focused on policies, ticking off the boxes. So when I came back in the second stint, so we need to do things differently. And in this time, I've done a bit of leadership, Uh, I've done a bit of reading, I've had the experiences, I've talked to other hods. my line manager was awesome, the principal's awesome, so all of these things Uh, were happening so one of the things that I really focused on was listening to staff and their concerns prior to that I was too busy trying to get things done to really listen about what they wanted and what their concerns were I was trying to get things to be perfect straight away so I put too much pressure on myself I transmitted that onto the staff Um, we also then co-created a shared purpose and values for the department because I realized that we were sometimes going on different tangents And we were having conversations and we didn't have a way to bring it back in. So some staff wanted some specific sport to be played or some unit that was always there. But I said, well, let's go back to see, well, what does the curriculum ask us to do? Let's look at ACARA. What does the school want us to do? And what do we want to do? So we kind of mesh those three things in. Um, I get more ownership uh, to people to follow their initiatives. And I remember this really clearly. There was one teacher who really wanted to have pre-unit meetings. And I was like, oh, people don't like meetings. So this means a lot of extra meetings. I really don't think we should do it. But she kept coming back and I kept going, oh, no, She kept coming back. And I'm like, you know what? If you really want it, let's go and do it. So we created a pre-unit meeting. Everyone came. It was meant to be hour. They stayed for two hours. I didn't say anything. We just staff running the pre-unit meetings. And they loved it because they got ownership. They could explain what they wanted. Um, they bounced ideas off and gave them a, this big sense of ownership of things. Which proved so. I would have never thought that it would have worked, but sh- thank you for her for pushing me and being persistent. And, and that was a kind of one of the, the turning points.
0: Can I just ask um, a question for listeners who doesn't don't know what a pre-unit meeting means? What do you mean by pre-unit before you start a new term? Or
1: yeah, okay. So it depends from school to school. A lot of schools will just continue the same unit. So a, a, a works. So let's say nutrition. So let's oh, say I'm you ten subject we ten weeks on nutrition. But some schools uh, will go holistically and go, well, let's look at the whole curriculum and change it. So we went through a process as a school of changing the units to make it more students focused, to make it more engaging. And how we would do it, I would assign one to a teacher. They'd go do it plan and give it to the teachers and teachers would see it four days before and they would teach it. But this teacher wow. said, well, I want to talk to everyone. What do they want to do? How do they want to do it? Get the feedback. So it goes back and forth.
0: Right. Okay. That makes sense. So much more human and much, much more co creation or involvement in teachers before they had to start teaching.
1: Yeah. 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 So it was more work for them, but because they had a lot more ownership, they enjoyed it and mm-hmm. they were voluntarily. So these were like in schools, it can be quite rigid in how many meetings you can have and mm-hmm. which means people have to stay there. So I said these are non compulsory meetings. So it's up to you guys and every single staff member came. Great.
0: I love, I love this. And you got some more. You got you got some more changes you made after this moment of reflection when you realised you were you were basically trying to mirror your your manager rather than be yourself. So what else? What else did you um, adjust after that insight?
1: Yeah. So so look look we looked at you know celebrating the things that were working well. You know, so I did this uh, weekly weekly update because um, one other thing that I realised was, or my line manager made me aware, I was sending too many emails and drips and drabs. She goes, well, how about you send one weekly update and in that weekly update, you say, what are the positives? So start off with the positives. What are some reminders? And then anything else you want. So I just created a weekly update, positives, reminders, I think was areas of growth and health and well-being initiatives, maybe an article or something that we wanted to do, student versus teacher game or something like that. So all the information teachers wanted was just in one. It was always sent on Friday at the same time. And it was an easier way for me to communicate with them. Mm
0: Mm. I love I love this insight and the the adjustments you made after this insight wait a minute I'm not doing leadership my way I'm trying to emulate or copy or mirror someone else more senior in the organization which I think is such a common situation people find themselves in and and I would Um, guess that for many people it's it as as it was for you initially it's a subconscious thing it's beneath the the level of our conscious awareness that we're actually trying to be someone else a, a leader we admire rather than being ourselves and you know I think you and I really align on this philosophy of leadership and leadership is about being ourselves it's not about emulating or copying or even acquiring these capabilities that are outside of ourselves, that leadership is really something that comes from within. And so it sounds like now, given that insight, you're really kind of figuring out your own unique way of being and therefore your own unique way of leading. Would that be true to stay?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's also changing because I think one of the things we've got to be is open-minded to change because the world is rapidly changing and and. There's so much information, good and bad, that's floating around and there's always ways of doing things better. So I think one of the key things is, is asking for that feedback and I'm really big on that. So after any initiative that we do, after every end of football season, I throw out a survey and I keep a few reminders so that I get back. What are the things we did well? What are the things I did well? What can we do better? What would you like to see? What if we did this? Don't think about any constraints. And sometimes you get overwhelming where a lot of people want one thing, and that's really clear. And sometimes there's one person who might not be the loudest person who will tell you one thing that's deeply insightful and makes a big change.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, I've done a lot of work over the years on helping organizations and leaders build this capability to listen, learn, and respond to feedback. And for us to do that, it starts with a, you know an open heart and an open mind and a genuine curiosity and thirst to want to be better, right? Mm. And I think for so many leaders unfortunately, perhaps there's some, some barriers there, you know, so it's easy to sometimes take feedback as a criticism rather than opportunities for growth. And, and yeah. then there's a question that comes to mind, Alex, and as you think back, you know, before you had this insight that you were basically trying to mirror someone else's leadership rather than grow into your own unique way of leading and you you're finding yourself in this strong focus on on compliance, which again, I think a lot of us can relate to, right? When when we're when we're unsure, when maybe we don't trust ourselves yet. It's so easy to go to compliance policy structure, yes. adherence. You know, it's an easy thing to go to, right? To create some sort of sense of maybe security or stability, but of course it's it's not it's not in its in and of itself a way to inspire heart count and to really lead people forward. It's, you know, maybe a foundation, but it's not really um, the thing that's going to get people excited. So as you look back to that time when you're kind of in this compliance focused mode Um, just give us a sense of how you are feeling within yourself. Because, you know, I I always say it's not enough to love what you do unless you also love who you're being while you do it. So how did you feel about the sort of man and leader you were being when you were in that compliance state of mind?
1: It felt more like a chore Mm. than anything else. Uh, It felt like I was ticking boxes. And look, we need, you know, policies. We need procedures. Mm. We need all those things. But I think if you don't look at the big picture of why am I doing this and how am I doing this and what are we trying to achieve, then it seems like we're just ticking boxes, we're just going from day to day. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the biggest insight for me. And that doesn't like compliance and policies don't inspire people.
0: Not alone. No, they're they're kind of a safety net, I suppose, or guardrails we might need, but then then not the first tool we should reach for. We're trying to inspire.
1: If you, you flip it the other way, if we go, so for example, I don't know, you you own a fruit shop, and you know, your, your purpose is to provide the best and freshest ingredients for your customers, and then you go, Well, in order to do that, we need to make sure that we daily check if the fruits are rotting so that our customers get the best of the best that flips it. So it's the people know why they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And as Simon Sinek says, and and I'm like a huge fan of him, the why inspires the what most people know what they do. Mm.
0: I interrupted you. Sorry, Alex, but yeah, I think it's compliance in service of a bigger aspiration yeah. Uh, rather than compliance for compliance' sake, because we're not sure, or maybe we don't yet have the courage to do something a little bit different, or or bigger, or bolder, or more innovative, um, or braver. Yeah, I love that. And you, because you did mention as you were sharing your story that you you felt exhausted, and you spoke to your manager about whether it's even worth it. And that's certainly in all the people I've spoken to who find themselves behaving in ways at work that aren't really congruent with who they are rather than showing up in ways that they think they should be but not ways that are really uh reflect who they really are it can feel exhausting I had one coaching client said to me once you know when I when I'm being myself I feel like I I can do anything but when I'm not being myself everything feels hard and it sounds like that that experience you had is congruent with, with that insight as well
1: yeah definitely and one of the things is i think i was also being a bit harsh on myself at the start because i I do have very high standards and and in my head i I built this that i had to do this perfectly so i didn't have enough compassion for myself to go it's a journey i'm just beginning and and look my line manager my principal they were awesome they weren't putting any pressure but i was putting the pressure on myself and then i was transmitting the pressure onto the people that Mm. that i was leading
0: Yes, I am very high in conscientiousness as well. I have a part of me I call Little Miss Achiever. She's very highly conscientious. And when I got your six-page review Mm -hmm. of my book, I thought, ah, he's a fellow conscientious person Mm -hmm. (laughs) who perhaps also has part of him (laughs) that really likes to do a very good, and thorough job at things which of course is a great strength if we if we um you know make sure we keep it in check and that we're being realistic in how much we can actually get through in any one day or any one week
1: and one, one thing that's kind of i've become really aware of and this came from my fellow hod, like really intelligent um guy so one of the time we had to create this you know our greatest strengths and our greatest weaknesses So he wrote his greatest strengths and his greatest weaknesses exactly the same points. Mm. And I looked at it and he goes, Whatever is our biggest strength is also our biggest weakness. Mm. So someone that's you know super conscientious, that's great, but also probably doesn't have that time to relax. Someone that's you know really easygoing and really relational more often than not struggles on, you know, getting the things in the right order and ticking the boxes off. So one of the things that, that I've kind of learned, and this comes from, I just read the book, Unreasonable Hospitality from Will Gudera and he has got a 95 and five rule. So he goes, when you're doing something, so do it really well, but just stop at that 95 mark and then give back 5%. So the way that he explained it, they were really tough on um, the service and what they were ordering and how they were doing things in the restaurant really tight on where they would spend the money, but then it would go, okay, now once a year, we're going to throw this biggest party. Let's just enjoy it. And that's what I have kind of realized as well. Do things to that 95% mark and then step back. Cause if you fully go to that hundred percent or whatever you do, yes, you will achieve that part, but then you're going to lose something else that's really valuable in another part. Mm,
0: yeah. I love that. It's about creating harmony between all these different parts and, and making sure that our expectations of ourselves are realistic and kind and yeah. And that we wouldn't expect ourselves to operate at a level of conscientiousness that we would not expect of others. And often that's not true. We hold ourselves to such high standards, standards we never hold other people to. And that sometimes can be a really key insight. And, you know, the feet when you gave me feedback on my book, uh, I, I love that you resonated with that, that the model i offer in my book which tells us about the different parts that we have a core self and then we've got all these parts that trying to protect us including you know our highly conscientious parts who just you know believe in their innocence that you know if we can just work hard enough maybe one day we'll be enough Well, will speak for my part that's definitely her, her dream in life um and you, you wrote as part of your feedback that you felt like um, this framework helped you to distinguish the different parts of yourself. And you said, it's so true how manager and distractor parts keep the injured parts of us safe, but at the same time, create bigger problems down the track. We never deal with the root cause of our problem, which I think is so insightful and absolutely has been my my experience. So perhaps um, as we as we wrap up this wonderful conversation, I just wanted to ask, you know, if there's any other insights that you might like to share, either that came from reading my book or just in this deep this deep self-reflection work that you're doing about this tricky business of staying true to ourselves. You know, if there's people listening, they're not really sure where to start. Maybe they've got a conscientious part or they've recognized that they've gone to compliance and more of a controlling angle, even though they know in their hearts of hearts, it's not really the way to inspire people. You know, any last thoughts that you might like to share with the listeners
1: there's Alex. Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that I think that we all need to do is realize it's a journey, and we're not going to know ourselves straight away. It takes years and takes time, and it takes uh, successes and failures uh, to realize the things that are working well, that aren't. But also taking time to reflect and really think about it, because I think often, especially in leadership, because we become so busy, and you, plus you've got life and everything else, we haven't got time to stop, think, and reflect. And without that, it makes it really hard to to be able to achieve anything.
0: It's so true, right? So many of the leaders I work with have such compressed lives. You know, they run from meeting to meeting and in between meetings they're trying Mm -hmm. to keep on top of their overflowing emails that never end. And so I think that's such an important point. It's a point I've been thinking a lot about lately. How do we create space to think? How do we create these kind of clearings in our days, in our weeks, in our working lives. So we can stop and look within and ask ourselves questions like, uh, I like what I do, but I, do I really like who I'm being? And if not, what might I change in the way I'm thinking about my work, the way I'm thinking about myself, my mindset, other practices that are going to help me love who I'm being as well as what I do, because you know, for me that that's a, the key to creating a sustainable work working life that really uplifts us and activates all of our incredible, brilliant potential. Yeah.
1: Now, look, one of the things that, that I've been thinking a lot about lately is, you know, the future of work. And for me, it's incredibly exciting because there's so many opportunities opening up. And what I love about young people is that they don't want to just go there for the job to get paid. They want to do job, a job that is very meaningful, that's purpose-driven, that there's bigger pictures surrounding that. So they're really demanded of the employees, and the employees have to change. So in my personal experience, um, you know, initially I just wanted a job, so I just applied anyway. They gave me a job, I would work. But now I'm at a stage where I'm really picking and choosing where they want to work. Does this school organization align to my values? And one of the things that really helped me kind of shape that, and I'll just share another story if I... I may, was a time when I was really true to myself in really difficult circumstances. So it produced quite a bit of short-term pain, but I have realized that there's a lot of long-term gain. And one of the things that we do is when we're in a difficult moment, like no one likes being in that, but if we expand the horizon, usually that's when most of the growth happens. And that's something that that's wow, where, where in the end, when we look at it, it's one of those key turning points. So I'll give you a bit of the context. So I once worked at a school that had a, this audacious plan how to revolutionize education. And after about a year, I realized that the vision and the ground truth were not in sync. So this made me a bit worried and I tried to alert senior management from my perspective, you know, in one-on-one meetings or in, in group meetings and i wrote reports and, and I gave some evidence or data and I said, well, these are the possible solutions. Um, it didn't seem to go well with senior management um, as I think, the senior management had this ideal of where things were going to go, and from their point of view, it was working. But I, I could just see a lot of problems uh, arising, so I thought it was my duty in that position to bring these things to light. Um, but then things didn't change, and actually, they, they got worse and worse. And then there was one stage where senior management asked for a one-on-one meeting with each middle manager. And um, so I was saying to all middle management, we all need to say how we think things are going because if we don't say it now, then we've got no chance of changing anything. So anyway, in this meeting, it was a very tough meeting because it's hard telling people what they don't want to hear. So I I did some mindfulness in preparation because I really wanted to be clear in my head. And And I said things in a respectful manner, exactly how I thought they were. I didn't want to mince my words around um that wasn't met with with a lot of enthusiasm but that also kind of showed me that this is not the right environmental place for me there's so many different places that we can work and it's not enough to go I'm going to be my true self if you're in an environment where the values or the way things are going are quite different it's impossible you're at odds and you can't seem to, to to get anything done right So that's when I realized that I really need to go somewhere else. And after a while, I moved on to a a different job. So in my current situation, when I look at it, uh, there's so, I mean, you're never going to be in an organization where every single value, every single little thing um, matches that that's, that's maybe one in a million, but are the core values are the big picture things um, really well aligned. And if they are, then we can be our true selves.
0: Mm, I love that yeah and I I totally agree that there's no such thing as a perfect organization right I think we we might sometimes be searching for this utopian place that doesn't really exist Uh, but there's certainly different shades of you know healthiness different shades of inclusive cultures and places where we really feel like we can belong and we can be ourselves and uh, like you, I found myself at an at at end of the spectrum where I really wasn't able to be myself, where there were certain environmental factors that were really bad for me that were causing me to be unwell. Um, mm. And sometimes we like to think that we're immune to in, our environment, perhaps because we've been conditioned to treat ourselves like robots for so long, mm. but we're not immune to our environment, just like a plant can't thrive and flourish in a toxic soil, no neither can we in environments that have significant factors that that maybe are psychosocial hazards or other factors that mean for us the workplace is not really compatible with with thriving and performing and playing and and belonging. So mm-hmm. I think that's an important story to share, Alex, and I, I appreciate you sharing that because. When we find ourselves in these environments, it does take enormous courage and strength to use our voice to try to make a change. And then if that doesn't work, to use our feet and our brains to find something perhaps that's more compatible with with health and happiness for Mm -hmm. us. And all of that, of course, takes courage. And for many listeners, perhaps it's not viable from a financial perspective for other constraints that, of course, are real for so many of us. Um, but where we can, I think, finding an environment that's going to bring out the best in us rather than the worst in us is so so important.
1: Yeah, definitely. And one of the big things, you know, that, that I think about it because you know we we take our home life to work and we take our work life to home. So, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be in an environment where, where it's uh, pleasant and happy, or if you're fortunate enough to leave one and to go to, another do it just makes a huge difference. So I, I realized myself and I at that time you know, kids at home as well, is if I'm stressed at work, I will come back and I'll be snappy at the kids. And the smallest thing they will do will annoy me and I will get into conflict with my partner over small things because my cup was emptied dealing with all the drama and the issues at work that I didn't have it for the family.
0: So true, Right. In these difficult workplaces, we spend so much energy trying to hold it together during the day that often when we come home at night, we kind of unleash on the people that love us the most in the world. It's such a sad, you know, shadow side of work-related stress, I think, is that the people that love us the most and that whom we love the most often get the rough end of the pineapple, so to speak, in terms of our behaviours. So yeah, it's such a key insight, right? And yeah, so powerful. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for everything that you shared today, for the thoughtfulness that you put into the stories you shared, for the amazing feedback you've given me on my book, and for the wonderful work that you do in the world. I, I know for sure this conversation is going to inspire so many um to get clear on their values, get clearer on their vision, to think more deeply about how they feel about who they're being at work not just what they do and perhaps even find the courage to use their voice to try to create change or perhaps think zoom out and think more holistically about what opportunities might be available for them to find work that really fills their cup thank you so much Alex
1: thank you Cassie it was great talking to you
0: by being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As a founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.